Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm Mikey Spicoli. <laughs> and I totally lost my place, so I can't read my name. Where the fuck did it go? <laughs> who and who are you? I gotta find it because I don't remember his name. You be? And I am Julio Cesar Valenciano. Alfonso. Welcome to episode 219, When Worlds Collide, 1996. Holy fuck. <laughs> Words, y'all. <laughs> yeah, what a, what a name. Yeah. <laughs> so this would be the second When Worlds Collide, produced by ECW. It would take place on September 14th, 1996, from the ECW Arena. Where else? In Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. with an attendance of 1,250. Nice turnout. I mean, yeah, we haven't seen we haven't seen under a thousand in a while. Mm-hmm. That's they're just you know the the Philly boys are here to party, stacking those chairs on chairs, or you know, tables making on a standing tables. room only section, <laughs> just because those chairs are going to get used for something else. I love how everybody just wants somebody to use their chair. <laughs> so the uh, video that we got is it's not actual like an actual official video. Someone put together excerpts from the three hardcore TV episodes that cover this show, and basically that's how we got the matches that we did for this show. Um, so there are things actually missing from the complete show, and we'll talk about those as they come up later in the show. But just so you know that if you can't find the video that we watched, you can always it's the late September, early October episodes of Hardcore TV. You can watch those, and you'll basically get the same show close. Same show, you, you'll get the matches at least, plus some. Fun extra stuff that I'm sure that Hardcore TV did. Yeah. To build up to the next show, so. But we are in Philly. Damn right we are. So Shane, did you do what you do? And how. Yes, we are back in Philly. We are at the uh, When Worlds Collide number two. And I'm trying to remember what I brought for When Worlds Collide number one, but I want to say it was like multiple things colliding with each other but I took the uh, the inspiration from the show from the title of this show when worlds collide and found something here in Oklahoma that seemed to fit the bill I went to the same place as last week where we got the banana pudding from and this time I brought one of their uh, their cheesesteaks known as the uh, the Oki cheesesteak so you've got a little bit of barbecue a little bit of cheesesteak Two different worlds colliding together there, all in one sandwich. The Oki cheesesteak from Clark Crew Barbecue. You can get your choice of either chopped pork, smoked turkey, or brisket. I went for brisket because I figured that'd be the closest to cheesesteak steak. You brought good and plenties. Good and plenty? Oh, that's right. I do love me some good and plenties. I don't remember why. I guess because licorice. Yeah. That's right, black licorice and candy and good and plenty, whatever, was started in Philadelphia. It's all coming back to me now, like Celine Dion. Yeah, we've got the Oki cheesesteak here with uh, some smoked brisket, sautéed peppers and onions, a little hot pepper relish, and cheese sauce, all on a toasted hoagie bun. I've never been to Clark Crew before, aside from the, the banana pudding, so... It's pretty damn tasty. It's yeah, got yeah. all the, the elements of the, the Philly, just with a, a smoky twist to it. It came with barbecue sauce, but I didn't know if I wanted to put barbecue sauce on a Philly. A Philly. I mean, again, yeah, it'd be when worlds collide, but it's actually really good without it because yeah. of the cheese sauce and the peppers and onions and all that. 
What's nice is they Jazz. shave the brisket thin, thinner than like a normal brisket slice, yes. as they should, but they do a solid brisket there, so you know. Why not? Why not put some cheese on there? Comes with some house-made potato chips, but then you have the option to switch it out for a side of your choice if you want to. Some, I'm guessing, baked beans or coleslaw or. I remember Carrick. Their mac and cheese is pretty dang delicious. Oh, they do have a good mac and cheese. They use a they use a nice noodle for it. That's a little different. Yeah, I saw on their menu the brisket mac and cheese that they had sounded pretty damn tasty. So might have to try that sometime. But yeah, if you're ever in Oklahoma City, Clark Crew Barbecue. So far, all I've had food-wise is banana pudding and the oaky cheesesteak, but winners in both cases. Yes. Oh yeah, I mean I've damn good. I've eaten there a lot. It's a solid barbecue spot. For I'm sure. gonna do what I do and take a bite on the microphone because it's right here, so it's not gonna make any noise. Actually, we'll yeah, bite this side. It's pretty crunchy. We'll bite this side because I've already taken a bite off the other end, and this one's toastier. So here we go. Crunch and munch. Fuck yeah. Smoky, peppery, oniony, cheesy, meaty. That's what he said. Appropriate for a wrestling show. Exactly. Well, something that would happen right around the same time as when worlds collide. Tupac Shakur would be shot in Las Vegas outside of a Mike Tyson boxing match a week earlier. Damn. Followed by passing away from the injuries the day before the show. Sad time in history. I remember the... The vibe around the world. I was a college kid at the time, and yeah, that's Tupac was somebody everybody listened to, and yeah, inescapable was a big impact in the music and in the movie world. And I mean, he had so much music already recorded that I remember in like I mean, there's still music coming out. Ninety nine, we haven't heard. Yeah, I remember like ninety nine. They did a video for like changes, and it was like a big hit on TRL. <laughs> like, it was, like, number one or whatever. Oh, yeah, because he had the... It was the Machiavelli album that came out. Machiavelli album is kind of my favorite because it's so fucking mean. Which a lot of people hated it because it was so vile. <laughs> but so, I, I but it's, it's heavy-duty shit. I like that record. I didn't listen to much of it, but it was just more... That was the first time that I had experienced somebody who had he, been been murdered and then an entire album of music came out the Machiavelli album years after his death he sounds like he's asking somebody to murder him he calls out everybody and shits all over them he has a song about where he samples me and my girlfriend but uh, it is uh, about his pistol and he talks about finger fucking it it is uh, it is a fucking hard ass record (laughs) it's it's heavy duty shit it is not as uh Sweet or um, intelligent or positive as uh, a song like Changes. Or Dear Mama. Or Dear Mama. Which was always my favorite Tupac song. Oh, wait. Is that what it's called? Yeah, Dear Mama. Yeah. I was getting it mixed up with one, uh, the Kanye West song. But yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, you are appreciated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then Tupac joined the, the ranks of Elvis Presley, where everybody still to this day is. is you really find your believers of, of him still being alive, so. He's definitely dead, guys. Tupac, if you're listening... He's on an island somewhere. Come thank on. you for being Alive in our hearts. Alive in our hearts. <laughs> Tupac probably... He's pushing the button somewhere yeah. on that lost island. He could have... Uh, <laughs> if he kept it going, he could have been a member of the NWO. He could have been. <laughs> everyone I mean, else well, Everyone else ends up being one. I think he would have been part of DX. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Or who knows? Maybe he would have had his own... Maybe... Instead of Master P, they would have had Tupac. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tupac probably didn't give a shit about us. Maybe he would have joined the nation. That would have been good. Rock and Tupac, can you imagine? Heck yeah. The, the, rock, and, the rock and Pac connection. Rock and Pac connection, exactly. <laughs> uh. And just imagine the, you know, the amount of songs they could have pulled from <laughs> from Tupac's catalog. It would have been fun. <laughs> All Three of them that didn't have <laughs> some kind of curse word in it. Yeah, they played. just edited it out. Exactly. The attitude era. Well, let's talk some wrestling. Let's do it. So Joey Styles welcomes us to the show, saying he's Ed McMahon as the FBI is in the ring with J.T. Smith singing on the mic. Fly me to the moon. 
And uh, JT brings up their fellow Paisan, Tupac, passing away. And California love comes over the speakers as little Guido starts to dance very poorly. Uh, I got a kick out of it. <laughs> but Tupac is a Sicilian. Is he? Was he? No. Okay. Neither is. Neither is. Uh... Oh, Mr. Smith. Well, yeah. I couldn't even remember his name. <laughs> and the mic gets turned off by the crew as another song hits. And we go to our first match of the FBI, J.T. Smith, Little Guido, and Sal Balamo versus the gangsters of Mustafa Saeed and New Jack in a three-on-two handicap match for the ECW World Tag Team Championships. Gangsters. And it's a plunder brawl. Gangsters is pissed. Yeah, you keep his name out your mouth. Mm-hmm. Trash cans are thrown in, and the brawl with plunder is on. Mustafa hits a big boot to Guido. New Jack with a crutch shot to Smith and Balamo. Power slam by Saeed to little Guido, followed by a big right hand to Sal to knock him out of the ring. Guido is then taken down by a side slam from Jack before working over Balamo some more. Little Guido is tossed out of the ring by New Jack. Mustafa with a drop kick to JT before the gangsters team up for a power slam 187 chair dive combo on Sal for the pin. And, and the win. win. Thanks for coming, Sal Blamo. That was some slap on slap. So immediately after this match, which we don't see in the video, Stevie Richards, Supernova, and Blue Meanie all come out, and they have another three-on-two handicap match. Oh. And Did Blue Meanie take the place of Sal? Or? I'd imagine. I can only <laughs> imagine. And the gangsters won again when you you remember Miss Patricia Blue Meanie's girlfriend. Oh yeah, mm. she came out and uh, got beat up, and that was her last appearance in the in ECW. Even oh. though we haven't seen her in a while. Okay, yeah. sounds like we missed a lot. <laughs> missed another five minutes of brawl, pure entertainment. They can keep it. We then go to our second match. Of Dangerous Devin Storm with Bag Crew and Julio Caesar Valentino Alfonso. There it is. Versus Sandman. And Storm hits a slingshot somersault senton out onto Sandman as he takes his usual seven minute entrance. And Sandman already busted open from smashing a beer can on his head. Just, just give you a bit of a visual picture here. Before grabbing the cane and nailing Sandman over the head with it multiple times. Take that, you dummy. Hurts. Devin then runs Sandman into a guardrail before the bag crew join in on the fun. Followed by a baseball slide by Storm from the ring. This really looks like they're trying to open him up the hard way. He's like, uh, it's like, oh, well, I'm already bleeding, so I don't know, just hit it. Just keep hitting it. Triple team continues as Devin comes off the apron with a sliding clothesline before a chair to the face. And Sandman finally makes his way into the ring. And he's where, opened up now. Where Storm body slams him. But he then takes his time going to the top rope. Coming off with a double axe handle. Only for Sandman to be back to his feet with Kendo stick in hand. Laying out everybody. Including the ref. Fuck him up. Sandman. Devin tackles Sandman to take him down. Allowing the bad crew to rejoin the fight. Placing him for a Storm moonsault. For the pin... And no, Sandman canes the ref in the head to stop the count. That's one way to do it. Anything goes in Philly. (laughs) Everybody gets caned again before Sandman nails a DDT to Devin. For the pin. And And the win. So did the caned ref count the pin? Yes. Bad ref. Like, I'm trying to remember. That's a disqualification. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's like, uh, (laughs) yeah. Everything goes here in ECW. Absolutely. Can't be a stipulation match if there's no rules. Post-match, Sandman continues with the cane shots and DDTs to both members of the bag crew for pins and wins as well. I don't know if that was an official match or not. Not counting them as one. Nah. Julio then comes in to get in Sandman's face, only to receive a kendo stick to the face as well, knocking him out causing the bad crew to have to drag him from the ring. 
Thanks for playing, Julio. Yeah, bad crew is good for something. <laughs> and so another match that we didn't get to see was between Axel Rotten and Bubba Ray. Oh. Hmm. Pretty stoked I didn't have to watch it. And the stipulation was that if Rotten would face Devon immediately afterward if he failed to beat Bubba. But Rotten won the match by pinfall after Devon had come down and given Bubba a chair shot. Following the match, though, Big Dick and the debuting Spike Dudley would enter the ring and brawl with Devon Dudley. Okay. Spike is official now, hey? I would like to see the debut of Spike, but I've just... Sometimes I need a Bubba break. I just... Sometimes I need a Bubba break, guys. You deserve a break today. I know. Don't we all? We then go to our third match. Louis Spicoli versus the franchise Shane Douglas with Francine for the ECW World Television Championship. I mean, I'm all here for this. Louis Spicoli's been great, and we all know Shane Douglas is always great. So the franchise stalls early on before getting the mic to tell the crowd to sit down and shut the fuck up, or he's leaving. Even getting Bob Artis, the ring announcer, to make the same announcement. Louis then takes the mic and tells Shane to quit worrying about the crowd and worry more about the guy who's going to kick his ass. Yeah, I love uh, when Shane comes down to the ring, he takes somebody's HBK shirt and blows his nose with it, which is fun. (laughs) Gives it back to him, it's kind of gross. But that fires up Douglas, who comes back into the ring, only for Spicoli to avoid the franchise's attack and respond with right hands and stomps to knock Shane out of the ring. Back of the ring, Louis with a headlock takedown for a two count, shoulder block, and catches Douglas on a leapfrog into a fireman's carry position. But the franchise scampers away to the floor to escape the finisher. I wanted to see that Death Valley driver. Shane comes back in as the crowd lets him know what they think of Francine. While Douglas extends his hand, only for Spicoli to show him how many friends Shane really has. A, a chant that I don't think we've heard quite yet, but little dick ain't got no balls, doodah, doodah. <laughs> That's what they were saying. Okay. Yeah, it, I, had to, I had to rewind it because I was like, what is this uh, chant? And they were, they were getting creative. <laughs> and then, of course, followed by, she's a whore. Because yeah. we are in Philly. Like, that one I understood, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't figure out the other one, so I'm glad you did. Mm-hmm. Little dick ain't got no balls. Doodah, doodah. So Louis grabs a waist lock, but the franchise escapes and then runs the ropes, only to be taken down by a drop toehold, allowing Spicoli to slam his head on the mat several times, forcing Shane to roll out to regroup. And he really bounces his head off of the mat. It looks great. Louis goes to bring Douglas in the hard way, but the franchise floats over and slaps Spicoli, which fires him up to deliver multiple turnbuck smashes, only to walk into a mule kick, allowing Shane to take control with reverse atomic drops and forearms. These guys work together very well. Yeah. Douglas with a headbutt to the gut for a near fall, a clothesline, and a modified sleeper hold. But Louis fights his way out before rolling up the franchise for a two count. And Shane comes back with a swinging neckbreaker for a near fall, and he goes back to that sleeper hold, which Spicoli just responds in time to the ref's three count, firing up with right hands to escape once again. And the two men fight over a whip, with Louis countering into a swinging neckbreaker of his own for a two count, before trying for a hangman's neckbreaker, when Francine would jump on the apron, distracting Spicoli. And he would stalk after Francine on the floor. Don't do it. Which allows Douglas to recover and hit a baseball slide out to the floor, followed by a chair shot across the back. The franchise then slams Louis's head into the chair, choking him with a boot and throwing him into the front row. Shane would then climb back into the ring and head to the top turnbuckle, flying out with a crossbody out onto Spicoli. And we cut ahead in the match to see them brawling around ringside, with Louis smashing a chair over the head of Douglas before they return to the ring. And Spicoli has his eyes raked, but he blocks a pile driver, only for the franchise to nail him with an elbow across the back of the head. 
Shane then goes for a tombstone, but Louis reverses it, only for him to lose his footing, so Douglas ends up landing on top for a two count. But Spicoli then rolls back on top for the pin, and no, no the franchise gets his boot on the ropes. Louis with a spine buster for a near fall, a bridging northern light suplex for a two count, followed by a Spicoli driver, only for Shane to grab hold of the ropes to block, so Louis dumps him over to the concrete. Louis, Louis. Baseball slide by Spicoli before slamming Douglas face first into the timekeeper's table. And Louis sets the table up against the guardrail, and he goes to whip the franchise. Only for it to be reversed, sending Spicoli into the table. Back in the ring, Shane's whip is reversed, with Louis lifting Douglas up onto his shoulders for his finisher, when Francine would run in to pull the franchise down. Whore. (laughs) Shane would then deliver a neckbreaker and a belly-to-belly suplex for the pin and And the the win. Post-match, Spicoli is holding his neck, so damage control makes their way out to stretcher him to the back. I mean, this match is great. Yes. I love Louis Spicoli. Yes. I love Shane Douglas. Kind of crazy that Louis' big ass did a stretcher job for him, but, you know... Shane's gimmick right now is basically to stretcher everyone. Yeah. It's just that Louis is such a big guy, and I know he... I didn't think he was going to win, but the crowd's so far behind him. I'd like to see him pick up a significant win, but Shane Douglas is a pretty significant win as him and Taz are the biggest heels in the company. Yes. Yeah, Spicoli continues to impress me each week. And it I don't know if it's he's just that good or if he's that good working with these people that are that great, but either way, I'm, I mean, I'm enjoying with, it. He worked with Eddie and... Art Bar back in Triple yeah. A, so, so I, that that I, says a whole I, lot right there. I think he's <laughs> yeah. probably pretty good. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where it's like he's a really big guy, but he uh, is a big guy that is athletic enough and understands small guy moves. It's just yeah, he's a, a perfect uh, a perfect big man in a single. Right, he was Madonna's boyfriend, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, yep, that's right. So after this match, Raven and Pitbull two would face each other for the title. Which, out of all the matches that we don't get to see, this is the one that I was like, why why is this not on TV? That, okay, yeah. Because I even asked myself after that show got over, where the hell is Raven? Yeah. (laughs) So during the match, Shane and Francine would come out and try and interfere on Raven's behalf, throwing powder, but it would end up being... In Shane's eyes, so he would inadvertently give Raven a belly-to-belly suplex. So, it's a Raven match. You know what happens in Raven's matches. So, all these people started coming in. But, finally, Raven hits the DDT on Pitbull 2, keeps his championship. Yeah, yeah. It's a great match if you could get the match, but it's Raven. Raven doesn't really wrestle. He fucks around with people and then hits a DDT. Yep. But then we go to our fourth match. The Can-Am Express of Doug Furness and Dan Crawford versus Sabu and Rob Van Dam. Totally unique match. One of a kind. I mean, I'm uh, excited about this. Yeah. I love when Sabu and Rob Van Dam tag team. This is the first time we've seen it. These guys have a very cute cat and mouse routine between themselves. So, Joey didn't really say it on... On commentary, but this is one of those, you know, how a few shows ago we had a dream partner match. That's technically what this was, because the night before was a show that we didn't cover, that Sabu and Rob Van Dam actually faced each other. And Doug Furness, I remember the last ECW show, we yeah. had, Doug Furness and RVD had a match. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. Yeah. And Furness would come down and interfere in the match and basically challenge them. I'll find a partner. You find a partner. And Rob Van Dam and Sabu teams up to go against Furnace, who his normal tag team partner in All Japan was Crawford. They've now come over to ECW. So that's 
where this match so kind of put on a from. big search to find a partner then exactly <laughs> yeah he had one he had one dialed in but he's his dream partner because it's his normal partner right. yeah exactly it's like well we're not gonna have any issues here. and i mean after watching him makes sense yeah so the match gets going with furnace and rvd getting into each other's faces only for van damme to be taken down by a clothesline a drop kick and a three-point stance shoulder block that sends rvd flying over the ropes out to the floor we want Sabu. The crowd wants Sabu. Yeah, they do. They RVD. Give it some time. Sabu's on the apron, guys. Chill. Van Dam tags out by slapping his partner in the chest. <laughs> so Crawford gets tagged in as well, where Sabu delivers a drop kick, spinning heel kick, and a baseball slide that sends Dan down to the floor and then out into the front row. And RVD tosses the homicidal one a chair, who sets it up for a triple jump double axe handle out onto Crawford. The Express regroups on the outside momentarily, with Sabu missing a clothesline once Dan gets back in, allowing him to nail the homicidal one with a German suplex. Love to see it. Furnace is back in to work the back of Sabu with axe handles, scoop slams, and a Boston Crab. But it's near the ropes, so the homicidal one is able to break the hold. Doug then charges into a corner, only for Sabu to move and fire back with a clothesline before reaching out for a tag, which Van Dam uses his boot to do so. <laughs> RVD then hits an enziguri, forearms, and a spinning heel kick on Furnace, making the cover after the homicidal one yells at him, only to get a one count. And the two men begin exchanging kicks until Doug is able to tackle Van Dam down to the mat, before bringing Moffat in, who hits a hip toss and an arm wrench crescent kick. An RVD with another slap to the chest to tag out, which angers Sabu. But he turns his attention to Dan to fight over a waist lock, which Crawford transitions into a leg lock. Now Furnace comes in, but the homicidal one has taken control with a body slam and a leg drop, before Van Dam tosses him another chair for a triple jump elbow drop, followed by an Arabian face buster for a two count. Now Doug fires back with a clothesline before bringing Crawford back in, who grabs Sabu away from his corner as RVD refuses to tag in. Love it. Dan then slams the homicidal one with hair pulls multiple times for a near fall, but Sabu escapes to his corner with Van Dam making the reluctant tag. Flurry of strikes from Crawford, but RVD fights back until Furnace comes in to help, which brings the homicidal one in as well who delivers drop kicks to both Expressmen to send them out to the floor. Sabu then reaches his hand out to Van Dam before slapping him, followed by tossing him out of the ring with a somersault senton onto the Express. And I love it. He slaps him in the face. Yep. Not even on the chest. So just a slap right on the cheek. <laughs> the homicidal one then joins everyone with a triple jump plancha out onto the floor as well. And we cut ahead with Dan snap suplexing Sabu several times inside the ring for two counts. He applies a bridging surfboard until he can't hold on anymore, bringing in Doug, who power slams the homicidal one for a two count. Leg drop from Furnace for multiple near falls, and he goes for a butterfly powerbomb, only for Sabu to reverse it into a back body drop, but he's not able to take advantage. So Doug comes right back with an overhead belly-to-belly -belly suplex. Oof. Now Crawford comes back with a body slam and he heads up top. Only for the homicidal one to meet him there with right hands before climbing up for a hurricanrana for an air fall. Now Dan recovers to nail a Japanese sleeper suplex for a two count before cutting ahead again where Sabu is finally able to make a tag with Van Dam hitting a spinning heel kick on both Expressmen. And Sabu actually tags this time, like a real tag. <laughs> RVD then comes off the top turnbuckle with a missile dropkick and a standing moonsault for a near fall on Furnace. RVD keeps up the attack with a slingshot guillotine leg drop to Doug on the apron, before rolling Furnace onto a table that is bridging the ring and the guardrail, followed by bringing a chair into the ring to set it up for the homicidal one. Sabu then goes for a triple jump, only to trip on the ropes and crotch himself. But Joey tells us that Van Dam shook the ropes to cause it. Van damn it. 
RVD then leaps up to the turnbuckles, climbing off with a somersault senton through Doug and the table. All while Crawford has recovered to clothesline the homicidal one off the ropes. Now Van Dam rolls everyone back into the ring, with Sabu making a cover on Furnace for a two count. RVD's tagged back in only to have his whip reversed, but Doug charges into a big boot, allowing Van Dam to leap up to the turnbuckle where he fakes the leap back, sending Furnace dropping down, so RVD then nails a split-legged moonsault for a near fall. Van Dam hits a butterfly pancake, but he doesn't make a cover, instead playing to the crowd allowing Furnace to recover and deliver a released German suplex. Huge. For a two count. Full rotation. I mean, he like flips over around and lands on his face. Dan jumps in the ring with chair in hand, smashing it over Sabu's head, before Doug tosses RVD into the steel as well. Crawford then nails a tiger driver onto the chair, while the homicidal one heads to the top turnbuckle, coming off with a splash onto Dan... (laughs) to break up the pin. Sabu smashes Furnace with a chair and then delivers a triple jump moonsault onto Crawford for a near fall. Doug with a Frankensteiner on the homicidal one, only for Van Dam to break up the pin, but he receives a chair shot across the back from Dan. These guys are really, uh, they're really doing it. Yes. This is how I like to put it. Everybody is just throwing each other around. Of course, we could probably do an over-under bet on Sabu triple jump maneuvers yeah. in any Sabu match, but here in a, in a tag match, she has even better excuse to be able to pull them off. I mean, this is a blast. Furnace then places Sabu on the top rope, with Crawford climbing up to hit an inverted superplex for a two count. Crawford then goes to pick up the homicidal one for a body slam only for Sabu to counter it into a small package for a near fall. Dan locks on a sleeper when Doug would come over to take the homicidal one up to his shoulders for the express to nail a doomsday device for a two count as RVD makes the save. Now Sabu and Crawford roll to the floor to brawl with chairs and right hands, while Van Dam nails a boot to the face of Furnace, knocking him out of the ring. RVD then slingshots himself over the ropes, but Doug avoids and grabs a chair to do damage, while the homicidal one and Dan have made their way back into the ring with the chair. And Sabu throws the chair into Crawford's face. That's fucking sick. I know, it's right into his <laughs> nose. It's like, yeah, like right on the button. Couldn't have been any more perfect in such yeah. a violent way. I had to rewind that one a couple of times like, just to make sure. I'm like, did he actually? Oh my god, yeah, yeah. he seriously just fucking hit him. Because I remember them saying... Something about Crawford's nose is you know, broken or something. It was like I had to rewatch again and again because yeah. that was just brutal. Right on, the, right on the money. Sabu slams him down before heading up top with a steel in hand. But Furnace has made his way back into the ring to knock the homicidal one off the apron. And Doug follows out to fight over the chair on the floor. With Sabu getting the better of it before returning to the ring to hit an Arabian face buster on Dan who had Van Dam in a leg lock for a near fall. Crawford fires back with a spinning heel kick on the homicidal one, allowing Furnace to roll back in to make the cover for a two count. Now Dan and RVD clothesline each other for a double KO, while Sabu bulldogs Doug into a chair, followed by another triple jump elbow drop for a near fall. This match is exhausting to take notes on because it's like, Basically, a best of the Super Juniors match, but if it was a tag match. Yeah. So it's just <laughs> like, and yeah, and everyone did suplexes. Like, there is no, there is no insignificant move being used here. No. Van Dam delivers a drop kick to Crawford. The homicidal one joins in with an arm drag into a cover for a two count. Followed by RVD with a springboard leg drop onto Furnace for a near fall. Dan hits another Tiger Driver to Sabu for a two count, before Van Dam starts hitting the Express with a chair, allowing the homicidal one to make a cover, but RVD almost turns and hits Sabu with a chair as well. Oh no! So he gets up, telling Van Dam to nail Doug once more with a chair-aided double leg drop. Now Crawford recovers to thrust kick the homicidal one for a near fall, 
while RBD slams down Doug, placing a chair on him and heading up top, where he comes off with a split-legged moonsault, with Sabu flying in to make a cover for a two-count. Now the Express looked to double-team Van Dam, but the homicidal one tosses a chair that hits Dan, while Furnace telegraphs a back body drop, allowing RVD to nail a DDT for a near fall. Crawford locks a sleeper onto Sabu, while Van Dam leaps off the top rope with a splash onto Doug for a two count. Now RVD stops a pin attempt on the homicidal one, only to receive a released German suplex from Furnace, while Dan takes Sabu up to the top for another inverted superplex which gets near falls from both men as the bell rings for a time limit draw. I'm winning it and I wasn't even talking. Fuck. The crowd wants five more minutes. I mean... I do too. Yeah, yeah. Like, legitimately, it, it feels... There's so many power moves in here. It really felt like anybody could have... Yeah. That any one of those two counts could have been the pin for like the last it's four like or five minutes. A condensed version of an Iron Man match that just went yeah, and no. went and went and went and went. It's a good way to put it. It's like all, it's nothing but high spots from like the first yeah. fucking two minutes on. Yeah. With the homicidal one asking the ref for it when Crawford would start counting on his fingers. One, two, three, four and once he gets to five he slaps Sabu and the Express would bail out to the floor followed by the homicidal one turning his attention back to Van Dam, letting him know not to be such a dick before the two shake hands. Wow. It's good stuff. Yeah. I mean, we've liked, we've, yeah, I mean, I love Doug Furness and RVD uh, from a recent show. And yeah, it's like, what's better than one Doug Furness? A Doug Furness and a Dan Crawford? Yeah, they're, that's they're, uh... both, they're both fucking great. This was like the payoff for all of the shitty tag team matches that we've had to watch over the last year or so in ECW that was just nonstop trash and smas and yeah. plunder and all that stuff. And we get this endless quality high amp the entire time match that just is a constant. Yeah, two guys that like work like juniors but have a little bit more weight to them versus basically a like Diner Brothers style tag team that like yeah. has a, a bit of a different um move set but it's suplex fucking city yeah and I mean, they're big and believable and yeah great is this match on a list or i love it <laughs> it definitely could be it definitely i think it should potential. be <laughs> yeah. what we're saying is uh short list. yeah you gotta you should watch you should watch <laughs> this one we then go to our fifth match johnny smith Versus Taz with Bill Alfonso and Team Taz. I know we're on a we're on a roll here between our Louis and Furnaces, and you know we enjoy Johnny Smith as well as we saw him recently. Oh, and Bill Alfonso and that fucking whistle! I can already hear it. Yep. And it's. Oh, I, I think I just, it's gotten more egregious. Yes. So the two men fill each other out to start with mat wrestling and small packages for one counts. Followed by arm locks and slaps, which pisses the human suplex machine off, who begins to pummel Johnny, only for Smith to come right back with forearms of his own. And they start running the ropes, with Johnny nailing a hip toss and a drop kick to send Taz out to the floor to regroup. Once back in the ring, they start running the ropes again, only for Smith to be caught going for a leapfrog, allowing the human suplex machine to German suplex him on his head. Literally. Uh, yeah. Followed by mocking Sabu's pose. Now Taz is working over the shoulder with stomps, a northern light suplex for a two count, and he looks for a Kimura lock, but Johnny makes the ropes. Human suplex machine continues to punish the shoulder with different holds until Smith finally fires up with a power slam for a near fall. And Johnny nails a cutter for a two count as Taz gets a boot on the ropes. He then has his whip reversed, but he ducks a clothesline and delivers a bridging German for a near fall. Smith hits a pair of knees to the gut before heading up for a missile dropkick, but he then charges into a T-bone Tazplex. Oh no! Human suplex machine then locks on the Taz mission for the submission and, and the win. win. 
Post-match, the human suplex machine takes the mic, saying he let him go early because Johnny earned his respect. I'd say I'd say he deserves it. But he doesn't respect that motherfucker Sabu, <laughs> that scarred-up piece of shit. Taz then dares the homicidal one to accept his challenge before mocking Sabu's pose again as Alfonso yells, Who can stop the path of rage? This is... Like, these guys are going really, really fast. They feel a little blown up at the end, but that's a good reason for the Taz mission to uh, be be put in. But they, you know, suplex the shit out of each other. I swear this match felt like it was 20-something minutes long because of the fucking whistle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, reading the words of the notes here, it's like, was it really that short? Did it go by that quickly? Yeah. Oh, good. Seven, eight minute match. Yeah, yeah. It was a, an appropriate length, but in throughout my notes, it's just like parentheses, whistle. Parentheses. Yeah, I mean, whistle. he did it. He could tell the referee kept yelling at him about the whistle, so then he, he just kept doing it yeah. more and louder and longer. And yeah, I, I would have hated, I mean, I would have loved to be Taz back in 1996, but I would have hated to be Taz in that ring with that fucking whistle being blown the entire time I'm in the ring. Yeah, but at least he knows that it's helping him keep his heat because he's so impressive and cool in the ring that like the only thing that really can be booed about him is that because they like dickheads here and mm-hmm. badasses and stuff and Taz is a dickhead and a badass. But if you have Bill Alfonso that's so hateable and Taz is blowing that whistle the whole time <laughs> that like it and then Taz is a dickhead, it, it I think it helps keep the heat on which is really important because they you can't be you, like it's like with Ric Flair it's like you can't be like that good and people are eventually going to start cheering you so Bill Alfonso is definitely earning his paycheck but our ears and his lungs are paying for it yeah who knew a guy that looks like he smokes 12 packs of cigarettes a day would be so long with <laughs> long-winded with a fucking whistle oh shit <laughs> <laughs> we then go to our sixth match Primetime, Brian Lee, and the Eliminators of Perry Saturn and John Cronus versus Tommy Dreamer and the Miracle Violence Connection of Terry Bam Bam Gordy and Dr. Death Steve Williams with Beulah McGillicuddy. Oh yeah, they were the Miracle Violence Connection. I forgot that little link there. I, I remember watching and seeing them hug to start the matchup and was like, oh, so they're friends. I totally forgot about the tag team. (laughs) As you mentioned, they hug because this is actually the first time they had teamed up together since July of 1994 in all Japan. Wicked. They'd kind of been doing their own own separate thing. Dr. Death had like a singles run. Terry, unfortunately, had that accident and supposedly never was quite the same again. Yep. So yeah, here they are again. The crowd is pumped. Dr. Death is pumped. You can like see his excitement. Big Dr. Death chant, you know. It's a feel-good moment for sure. So everyone just starts brawling in and outside the ring as Lee tosses Tommy into a guardrail. We cut ahead where Bam Bam is whipped into Saturn by Dr. Death, followed by a power slam by Williams for a two-count. Dr. Death continues with a body slam of Perry before knocking Primetime and Cronus out of the ring. And Dreamer joins Williams for a double-team three-point stance shoulder tackle, followed by an elbow drop for a near fall. And Tommy calls for a chair from the crowd before heading up top, only for Saturn to kick his feet out from under him, causing Dreamer to crotch himself. And Perry would then snap-mare Tommy off to the mat before coming off the second rope with a neck snap as well. Now Lee tags in to power slam Dreamer, going for a hip toss, but it's blocked, followed by Tommy ducking a clothesline and delivering a thrust kick. We cut ahead again as Cronus hits a handspring splash onto Dreamer for a two count. It's always with crazy. leverage. Always crazy when he does those, because he's so large. Another clip ahead with Perry flipping out of a vertical suplex attempt by Tommy and delivering a Saturn bomb, followed by a springborn moonsault. For a near fall as Dr. Death makes the save. The Saturn Salt. Moving ahead once more, Dreamer gets taken down by the Eliminators, hitting double spinning leg lariats, 
followed by another clip ahead to see Williams press slamming Perry and a clothesline to Lee and John. Dr. Death continues by tossing Saturn up into the air for him to fall flat on his face. Pancake. Before we cut ahead to see Cronus with a handspring back elbow to Williams. But he no-sells it and takes John down with an arm lock until Perry can run in to break it up. We skip ahead to Tommy delivering a stunner to Saturn, making a cover for a two-count as Primetime makes the save, followed by nailing a choke slam on Dreamer. Gordy comes in with a clothesline and right hands to Lee, locks on the Asiatic spike when the Eliminators would both roll in to deliver total elimination to Bam Bam for the pin and, and the, the win. win. Post-match, Dr. Death double clotheslines the Eliminators as we fade to black. A nice um, storyline with Brian Lee using... The spike, Bam Bam finally gets the spike on Brian Lee, and then because of that, he eats the total elimination. Some solid short-term storytelling, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just something I wanted to point out. So I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of When Worlds Collide 1996? So much better than I expected. Yeah. I think a lot of it is because they cut the ECW out of it with the things that you you're Raven and your Bubba's and like they're not really here we get Louis Piccoli, Johnny Smith, Doug Furness, Don Crawford. I like wrestling and there was only trash in the first five minutes and the rest of it was wrestling granted maybe not as strict of rules as uh, you know your traditional wrestling outside of philadelphia goes but i was afraid of the walk and brawl and we got big boy wrestling and i love big boy wrestling so yeah i had a great time with this yeah i mean it was i didn't know what to expect with it because the last when worlds collide was different i mean it was wcw come into play and then we had didn't the triple a have their own when Worlds yep. Collide show too, yeah. so yeah, I didn't know what to expect from it, but it had some some definite highlights to it. Uh, like you said, it was almost refreshing not having the usual players on there of Raven and Stevie and all of them just doing their constant run-ins and distractions and whatnot. Uh, not having the the deadly civil war of thirty minute lots of things happening, promos. but nothing really happening. Although it would have been nice to see the debut of Spike. Yeah, I mean, it, it had its moments. It wasn't a terrible watch. It was it was an easy watch to get through. And that tag team match in the middle there just, it was great. It's just funny that there's these guys that are showing up in ECW. That I don't think they're going to be here for very long. But I like them more than almost everybody on the ECW roster already. Outside of people like... Taz and Shane Douglas, like I'm, I love Luis Bacoli and I like Johnny Smith and I fucking love Doug Furness now and Don Crawford. I was like, well, I know Doug Furness is gonna be great, and then Don Crawford is like just a little bit. He's he brought he's he's probably more of the technician yeah like kind he, of guy than but yeah he's not he's not so far off from Doug Furness yeah. as far as being like impressive like he's Doug Furness is the star of the tag team but he's. It's kind of like Anvil and Bret Hart. It's like Anvil is great at playing his part there. Don Crawford can suplex, can suplex uh, just as well the, as everyone else. The cash wheeler of the team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So honestly, I wrote my thoughts like right after watching the show and wasn't like overly excited about the show because it just it kind of there wasn't a whole lot of flow. Yeah, because it is all these just like cut up bits. That's that's definitely true. But looking back after having just you know talked through it, it and now. everything, I'm like, there is so much good wrestling on this show, mm -hmm. and actually the me me saying that there's no float, like I think that actually helps the show a little bit. Agreed. Because there's a good possibility that that main event went like 
25 minutes. And we would have been maybe pulling our teeth. Exactly. But with all the clipping ahead that it did because it was on TV, I think it actually helped probably with the flow of that match in just giving us the the big moves that we want to see. You know, give yeah. us the moments we want to see. The in important match. stuff, not the stuff where they go walk through the crowd and hit Exactly. This is the... Uh... The first ECW show we've watched in a while that I have not skipped forward on in, in any parts of it because usually if there's something with the Dudleys going on, I'll watch the first few minutes of it and then the like, schnoz happens and I skip towards it or skip towards the end. And you know, Raven and Stevie and Blue Meanie and all of them with their constant run-ins and interference and shenanigans. It gets old after a while, so I usually find Absolutely. myself forwarding through it because they feel the need to put them in there, you know, sometimes three or four times in one episode, and you can only see so much of the same shit. Yeah, like I said, my, I always write or try to write my thoughts immediately after I finished the show and I wrote that it was better than I expected, gave all my love to the guys that I already named, and said that I like wrestling, and like this show was not short of wrestling and the kinds of things that I enjoy to see in a wrestling ring. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smark it up. Smart, smart, smart. So what are some of the best moments of this show? People getting dumped on their heads. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's the best moment, I know, but, but it like, does happen quite a bit. It's just that like, some people, Doug Furness really suplexes people. Mm-hmm. Sometimes somebody gives somebody... Rob Van Dam pretty much came down right suplex. on the top of his head. Yeah. Oh. It was uh, released Germans, man. Yeah, Oof. what's his name? Smith. He came yep. down on his head. Yeah. Old Spicoli got a neck breaker that rocked his head. Yeah, it was... Uh, the that tag match. It was wild. Yeah. Can-Am Express. I couldn't believe that they kept it up for so long. The RVD and... Sabu actually get a tag name at some point, or do they just stay no, tag? they're okay. Starvity and Sabu. But when they do tag, like that, those shenanigans continue between them fighting with yeah. each other. Because I got into watching old ECW, what two thousand maybe after the wrestler came out. I would download random uh, matches from like the internet, ECW matches, ones that people said that were good and stuff, and I would watch them with one of my buddies. So we watched them. You know, out of order, out of context, and, um, you know, we really enjoyed the RVD and Sabu tag matches just because the whole, you know, Tom and Jerry routine of them, like, not not playing together well is, is very fun. I don't know how long they do it, but uh, I do know they do it quite a bit more. So I was excited when I saw, that was a highlight for me, honestly, was that I enjoy that dynamic, and now I know that it's has started and you know, because I've been waiting for it and here it was so that was definitely a highlight for me yep. and then for it to be that great of a match for the first one to be like a complete knockdown drag out like banger of just people getting tossed around and they kept it up for so long like those guys had to have been crazy exhausted the miracle violence connection hug yeah yeah that was nice not super familiar with the Miracle Violence Connection, but I do know what it is. But but I so it did it didn't mean nothing because I was aware that it meant something. But I didn't have the uh, the backlog of watching their All Japan material. Yep, I only know the little bits we saw of them in WCW. I mean, yeah, we saw them basically on that one show of WCW <laughs> that was boring as fuck. Yep. <laughs> And so that definitely put a bad taste for them in my mouth. But yep. I bet I know that both both yeah. of these guys like in watching these ECW shows with them in it. I can see the appeal of them mm-hmm. that people have had over the years mm-hmm. because yeah. they have been enjoyable in this setting. Yeah, we just haven't seen the really good stuff. I've watched an internet documentary about Doctor Death, and uh, it. Kind of changed my mind and made me want to watch some All Japan Dr. Death stuff. Of course, some of that being with Terry Baby and Gordy. But I was like, okay. Because we've all complained about Dr. Death when he shows up a lot of the time on this show. It's mostly Shane. But... Yeah, mm-hmm. but I mean, I try to give him an... Ex- I try to... I own it. I try to, I try to like, cut him some slack, even though I'm not 
never super impressed, but I think he deserves us to at least watch some of his more acclaimed All Japan stuff at some point. Not for this show, but, you know, for ourselves, because uh, wrestling is cool, and when it's good, it's great. How about most disappointing that we didn't get to see the Spike Dudley yes. debut? Yep. Yeah, that's a bummer, but... I was super bummed whenever I realized this didn't have it. Oh, yeah. No. I am kind of bummed about that, but I'm also glad that the things that were cut from this show were cut from them, because they sound like they would have really slowed it down. Maybe we'll get to see it in a flashback or something Yeah. on a future episode. Well, you know, we like Spike. We're, we'll be happy to see him, and I'm sure it'll be I mean, soon. Yeah, that was going to be mine. Was He'll have plenty Spike. of matches as we go through. Oh, yeah. How about best performer of the night? That's tough. I mean, there's four guys. I mean, that's actually hard to say even because, like, Shane Douglas was great. But Shane and Louie were great. Louis, yeah. Louis, I fucking love Louis Spicoli. I fucking love Doug Furness now. Oh, Bill Alfonso's whistle made it through the entire match without stopping. Even Johnny Smith, <laughs> who's been good um, but not uh, featured as well as Furness or Spicoli as far as booking goes, but he's... He's definitely good. He's like might maybe a rung underneath them, but like he's still yeah. a better wrestler than fucking Sandman or Tommy Dreamer or Raven. Scotty Flamingo was better than Raven. Oh, in the ring. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Polo was better than fucking Raven. <laughs> <laughs> Raven has the charisma of a f- fucking baked potato. What's that guy's name? Furnace's partner. Doug, Dan Crawford. Dan Crawford. Crawford. There yeah. we go. Yeah, he he stands out to me just because this is like, the first this? time I yeah. remember ever actually seeing him. I've never heard of the way he continued on in that match after taking a fucking chair to the nose. Oof, he yeah. gets my vote. I mean, he uh, <laughs> also like I was like, okay, well, here's this other guy with Doug Furness. Like, I know who Doug Furness is. Like, even before we started seeing him recently, I was aware of his name and knew that he was a badass. But Dan Crawford, I never heard that name in my life. And is he Kinsh? Considering that he had, he like, like I said, he held his own. I feel like he's British. Is he British? I don't know. Dan Crawford. I mean, he he ends up in the WWF later in the year as a with a different name. They don't. He didn't use his Canadian. I oh like, yeah, I was Duh. like Can Am. Can Am. Was like I'm pretty sure he's Canadian. <laughs> what is, hey, what is I'm his the same guy that said, "Where is Harlem Heat from?" So I'll, <laughs> again, I'll own it. They're from Houston. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Which it's like I feel like people also know that Houston has a high black population, but Harlem sounds better. Yeah, Houston Heat just nah. yeah isn't as cool. And yeah, it's like Houston's obviously probably hotter. Yeah, what is you know spoiler? Who's Dan Crawford in the WWF? Somebody I wouldn't recognize. No, just he just Phil Lafon. Phil Lafon. Yeah, him and Furnace continue to tag in WWF, but they change his name for some reason. They don't change Furnace's name, but they change his name. Hmm. Huh. Furnace and Lafon. They didn't want a, a, a D and a D. How about most surprising? And see, this is where Dan Crawford is for me. Yeah, because that's a good way. I wasn't. Good, I wasn't. Good place to put him. Wasn't quite expect knowing what to expect from him, especially in there in the ring with Sabu and RVD, who we know can can go. They do sometimes sloppy, but they can go. Yeah, and like these. There's so many spots, like, there's so many options, like, chances for botch in this match, and everything is, like, fucking smooth, which just, like I said, proves that Crawford is the real deal. I made it through an ECW show, talking about an ECW show that featured a match and a main event with a certain Mr. Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and not once did I complain or sigh, or ugh, or any of that. <laughs> Good point. That's yeah. my that's my most surprising right there is Doctor Death was on a show. You had and a decent... I loved it from start to finish, basically. Yeah. Um, maybe it's because of the cuts, but hey, yeah, take whatever. what we can get. It had just the right amount of everything in it to keep me entertained all the way through. Yeah, and I love the finish of the last match being. It's like oh, like I said good short time storytelling, Brian Lee using his move and uh he was finally got his uh comeuppance as gordy you know brought it back on him and because of that he was totally eliminated he was totally eliminated 
It's trivia time. So this week, the category is music of the map. give you three points for a correct answer so i'm gonna play a song you tell me what wrestler this music was for all right we'll buzz in Some low, ba- some low, some, some low. This is I dig it. Who the hell is this? Damn. I fucking know that it's. Somebody that doesn't wrestle for WWF or WCW. It's gonna be. Whose music this is? I'm gonna go on a wild guess. Who you got? Hase? That's what I was thinking. That is incorrect. Oh, he's Japanese though, so bring it on, Shane. He's gotta be. That's that's. That's a tough one. I mean, I want to say I've heard this yeah. before. But yeah. It's a nine-minute song, so let's not. I'm not gonna yeah, let yeah. you go that long. No. No. My assumption is he's Japanese. Matt's not gonna tell us, but I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. I went with Hase for some reason. Yeah. See, Hase was who I was thinking of first, and it was like, wait, is this what Ric Flair came out to when you were in Korea? Or... <laughs> that would be hilarious. I honestly I have no idea. Let's pull another Japanese. I'll say. Name. I gotta think of some Japanese names other than Hase. Who's the. Come on. Ricky Jushi. Jo- Jushin. Choshu? I don't know. Ricky Choshu? No, not, not him, the, the other one. The, the blonde-haired, Ricky Morton-looking Ricky. Oh. <laughs> Neither one of those is yeah, correct. Yeah, okay, okay. Well, let us know. As the correct answer is... Terry Funk. Oh. Okay, yeah. That was his music in ECW. Wow. Really? Right, I mean, his, his first run in ECW. Okay. Yes. Okay, maybe he used it in Japan, too. He, it's, he, it seemed like a Japanese a theme song, for sure. There's a good They're chance. normally, you know... Yeah, that was Emerson Lake and Powell's uh, fanfare for the common man. You know what's funny is that that is a very Emerson Lake and Powell or Palmer. That when that uh, that groove that bass groove came in, I was like, that's very that synth bass was very uh, ELP yeah, vibes. It is Palmer on that one. Yeah. Okay, yeah, but yeah, I, yeah, I don't know that one. I got a copy of Brain Salad Surgery over there though. Hmm. Yeah, I. That's not who I was picturing. No. Yeah. I was like, maybe it's somebody that was wearing some kind of a mask or something, but nobody was coming to mind. And now I definitely like, wouldn't have guessed El that. Samurai and all these other yeah, ones are finally yeah. showing up in my brain. But Yeah. No. Kinsuke Sasaki. <laughs> uh, I knew it wasn't uh, Anoki Bombay. Next week, Fall Brawl 1996. Featuring? War Games. Yeah, I mean the brawl to fall them all. <laughs> NWO's first fall brawl. Yeah, mm. there's five of them, but you gotta have at least four to get into the cage. It's true. Unless Which four will it be? Unless they change the rules. But we'll find out next week. Music from this week's show is Thunder Kiss '65. Five five. Yeah. By Rob Zombie and. The Eliminators won our main event. They made the pin, so we play their theme music, No Remorse, by Metallica. Okay. Oh, I didn't realize that they also have Metallica's on. 
it's it's ECW. You Metallica rocks on me. They, they just <laughs> pick a they just pick a hard rock song and yeah. go yeah play this sounds good. I mean, once upon a time we had except uh, for Raven comes out to the Offspring, which makes no sense. He wears like Melvin shirts and like KMFDM or typo negative shirts, and then comes out to like some weak ass pop punk. It's crazy. Yep. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast at. Yeah, get us on your uh, what is the the Spotify Wrapped. Try. Right. We got we got enough episodes. I promise that uh, we'll have. Yeah, we got more minutes than most podcasts. We got more minutes than a lot of podcasts. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns. Like recipes, food ideas, mm-hmm. drink ideas. Yeah. Where where are we going? Where North Carolina? Winston Salem. So bring your cigarettes. Winston's or Salem's. I don't have either ones of those. But... Yeah. What's funny is when my dad used to smoke. He would smoke Winston's, and when my mom used to smoke, she smoked Salem 100s. Uh huh. So you know Winston's. I don't smoke. Did you watch NASCAR? No, no. I don't okay. know why he spoke Winston's. Yeah, he didn't watch. He watched baseball. I was football. A, yeah. I attribute Winston's to NASCAR. To NASCAR. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah, I mean they're definitely a cowboy cigarette. Those things are harsh. <laughs> I haven't smoked in a long time, but I definitely stole Actually, one. I think from I do know. I think it was a line from Goodwill Hunting. Oh, okay. Smoking Winston, watching NASCAR. If you have any of those things, you can email us at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail or find us on Twitter at wrestlinghistory. Or you can find us on Twitter at Wrestling Histo-X. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week. Finish the show the way we started. Laters! How did we start the show? With me going up, up to the, 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 up to the,